Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Hello and welcome to Campfires and Color Wars, a podcast about summer camps and the stories we love to tell about them. Like the time one of our campers got caught shoplifting at the NASA Space Center in Houston, which I believe is a felony. They got sent home. I'm Mike Hart. And for the next 45 minutes or so, we're going to press pause on the world around us, transport back to the days of our adolescence, when the school year was just one long rest hour between days at camp. If you have a camp memory you'd like for us to use at the top of the show, uh, you can always email your short stories to us at summercamppod at gmail.com. And if you're going to do that, why not give us a rating, give us a review on iTunes so we can continue to reach as many former campers as we can. Uh, very excited about this episode. Um, Rabbi Denise Ager is our guest, and uh, she has a really interesting story. She actually grew up at Jacob's Camp, which is the camp that uh, my dad ran, that I was a camper at and a staff rat at. Uh, she is a generation before me, so I did not know her necessarily when I was little. Uh, she knew me, uh, at least for a couple years, uh, right around the time that I was born, and kicking around camp in my cowboy boots. I was super cool. Um, But uh, Denise has a really, really interesting story and perspective on the camping movement and uh, and the changes that have happened over the years. Uh, She has been a champion of LGBTQ rights and uh, has been a pioneer uh, in the Jewish space. Uh, She is the first out um, lesbian president of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, which is a huge deal. She was one of the very first uh, out rabbis to have uh, a pulpit at a congregation. Um, and she's really done a ton of work in, uh, in activism, in, c- in civil rights, and, uh, and, and everything around inclusion in the Jewish community um, and beyond. Um, she has a new book out called, let me make sure I get it right, uh, Mishkan Ga'ava, where pride dwells, a celebration of LGBTQ Jewish life and ritual. Um, and is actually fascinating kind of talking about that. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about this in the episode, but it really is interesting when you think about religion and sort of how it's a living, breathing thing. And there are many, many things that uh, were not covered in the Old Testament uh, or the New Testament or, you know, any of the religious texts that are hundreds and thousands of years old. So how do you modernize uh, for today? And she shares a lot about that journey and about uh, how her book came together, which I thought was really interesting. Um, But also just the role uh, of camp in the life of the LGBTQ community and how that has changed for the better uh, over the years and how it impacted her relationship with camp. Um, I just really enjoyed talking to her about that uh, and her camp memories in general. Um, so, yeah, let's get to it. Uh, my conversation with Rabbi Denise Ager. Denise, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Uh, I feel like there's lots of fun things that we can talk about. Um, you know, I have tried to cover a lot of different areas uh, of conversation around the camp experience. Um, and we have discussed, uh, you know, gender roles and sexuality, uh, you know, often over the course of the show, but, but not always, you know, with a specific, you know, group or subset in mind. Um, and so when you reached out and knowing sort of your background and what a, you know, what a trailblazer you've been, uh, I thought it would be awesome to talk to you and hear all about your camp experience. Um, so let's, first of all, hello, how are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm so excited to be here, Micah. I have, just have to tell you, and um, I'm thrilled to be able to talk about camp. It played such an important role. I would not be who I am if it wasn't for Henry S. Jacobs Camp in Utica, Mississippi. Yeah, so I mean, we might as well start there since you did go to Jacobs Camp. Uh, well, I, will, I will happily give you this opportunity to tell any stories you want to tell about me as a, as a child? In diapers uh, before you were born, maybe? Because, exactly. <laughs> Wh- whatever. I, I find that uh, people who were at Jacob's camp uh, in the 70s and 80s, yep. when they see us, they cannot help themselves but to talk about when 
for example, I was in my cowboy boots walking around, etc. All the time. Um, the time. So, you know, just feel free if you want to get it off your chest, like go for it. it no, I respect you and I respect what you're doing and as a, an adult. And so we'll leave those, we'll leave those pictures back on the CD that I have of uh, pictures from uh, the 40th reunion, not let alone the 50th reunion. But yeah, I, you know, I mean, I did go to other summer camps. I spent a summer at Young Judea in North Carolina. Uh, well, that was a great experience. So I was active in Young Judea as a kid. Um, but uh, I went to some non-Jewish camps and day camps, but really it was Jacobs that was really my formative, formative years, uh, as both as a camper and um, then as a, a counselor, as a song leader, uh, singing, coming down uh, for winter retreats and regional retreats and uh, a softy officer and uh, so camp, I spent a lot of time there, not just in the summer, but, you know, on weekends and the first two years of college, which was uh, 78, 79 and, and 79, 80, where I stayed at home to go to Memphis State. I'm from Memphis. Um, I think I was at camp every weekend working some camp retreat uh, for somebody in the region. So um, it, it really felt like second home, uh, not just in the summers. So, so let's start though from the beginning. So what, when did you start at camp and what was your experience? Uh, my like? first summer was 72. Oh, wow. Okay. 72 or 73. I, I, like the years kind of all get fuzzy. <laughs> so it was really early at Jacobs and I was in this amazing cabin of women. I guess we were like 12 or 13 and there we're many of us are still really close friends today. Um, three of us became rabbis. And we were in the same rabbinical school class. So myself, Lucy Dinner, who's in Raleigh, and Marsha Plum, who's from Houston, but they didn't have Green Family Camp back then. So the Houston kids used to come to Jacobs in the early 70s. So Marsha's a rabbi in the Boston area. So we were in the same rabbinical school class. There were two temple presidents that came out of that same cabin. Um, and I think one year at the 40th reunion, maybe at Jacobs, we did a, some, we did actually some filming around it. And and Ann Rosivitska Kleinitz, who's from New Orleans and has worked for camp, works for the Institute, um, past president of Temple Sinai, and Barbara Fleischhacker. There's a whole crowd of us there. You know, we went to kibbutz, we were CITs, junior counselors, senior counselors together. Do you think that camp had anything to do with that, or do you think it's coincidence? I think camp had everything to do with the connectivity and the Jewish identity formation of all of us and um, how strongly we were connected to each other, both as Southerners with, you know, needing that Southern safe Jewish space, you know, what caused in our lives at home and in junior high and high school, you know, we, there were not necessarily a lot of Jews, you know, especially for those that came from really small towns. Um, but even those of us that were for like from Memphis and New Orleans, you know, we still, there were still places that, and clubs, even in Memphis that, the Jewish kids weren't a part of. That's why we had this rich other social life with Nifty or if you were conservative at USY or BBYO. Uh, we all did it all. Yeah, Memphis, uh, it's funny. So a very recent episode of uh, Jewish Geography Zoom Racing was the president of Nifty versus the president of BBYO. And we were remarking that in, in, in the Jacobs country in the Deep South, there wasn't a lot of BBYO presence. Memphis really was the only BBYO that I knew of. I, New Orleans might have had it. I, I suppose that probably would have existed in New Orleans, but uh, I only knew it from Memphis. We didn't have it in Jackson. Um, right. So it was just interesting to see sort of the the different dynamics of the two organizations. It really, I mean, it really is interesting. And my, I've heard my dad talk about this a lot of, you know, the connection between going to camp and, I mean, I guess you could call it, you know, going into the into the clergy or going into, you know, leadership in the in the Jewish world and I wonder if that's if that's a leadership thing or if that's more of like a spirituality thing or if it's both I think what happens at least at URJ camps because that's intentional and it doesn't matter whether it was Jacobs or Newman or Harlem or Crane Lake or you know or or, or Kalsman or Osrui or George have I named them all Coleman Gucci I, I think I'm and Osrui good, I, think I think we got right? um, <laughs> Green. I don't want to leave green out. Um, I, I think that's intentional, right? And I, so I think the identity formation piece is 
is really critical and and obviously everybody has their own personal loves and like you know there's people that are more artsy or musical or dance and and so you know like to cook that's the cultural piece that comes out right there's those that whom the you know deeply religious spiritual stuff speaks to them but camp is a place to allow you to be who you want to be I think without some of the other constraints like parents and family or or family position oh you're kid number three or kid number one or you're an only you you can be you can explore and I think that's the beauty of what Jewish summer camping does in this kind of safe basket to help form identity stuff and and I, I, I want to I, I do want to give a shout out though to Jacobs um, having visited lots of other camps and been faculty on other camps uh, as an adult you know those years I have to say uh, really allow the camper years not just the staffing years which were different um, really did did focus on helping train and make young leaders um, I don't know whether it was intentional um, <laughs> I, I, but I do think and I think about I think about you know everybody having to write be lead services at some time their cabin had to lead services everybody had to take a time at Torah Newt right to, they had to be responsible for setting up tables everybody had chores and jobs and roles that they played as campers and then certainly as staff during the year and um, I, I think that is really important um, and I think you know we've seen changes through the years in camping right and how it was for me as a camper in the 70s really different than kids today that go to camp you know we didn't have air conditioning and we had, you know, I, could, I could do that old person thing sure. right I, you know what i can too now i am right? that old person also exactly I, right 100 right so so we could do that oh it toughened us up we had to take salt pills because it was so hot right uh, but but i do think there is something about that experience um that I, for me anyways, I know deeply formed my Jewish identity and deeply shaped both my um, fledgling leadership uh, goals and, and, and certainly Jewish, both spiritual and, and artistic goals. Because I, I have this great story. I, I guess I should share a story with you. When I like I was stories, go for it. When I was 13, I was already teaching music at Temple Israel in Memphis. I was a singer, I played guitar. Um, and I was already teach the religious school music teacher before my bat mitzvah. I was the third bat mitzvah at Temple Israel in Memphis, ever. Gwen Fell, Beth Orlansky was number two. I was the third one. Oh, how about that? So, yeah, so, 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 um, we had, um, we, my Temple Israel sisterhood saw potential, I guess, in me and sent me to Jacob's to softy camp. I wasn't even old enough to be in softy yet. Oh, so maybe it was in 74. I think it was 1974. So Debbie Free, your dad had brought Debbie Friedman down to song lead, right? She was kind of towards the beginning of her career from Minneapolis. She was like just really starting to break through. I had private one-on-one -on -one song leading lessons with Debbie Friedman as like a 14-year-old. Wow. She taught me how to song lead because I already sang and I had been already taking actually formal voice lessons in Memphis, like opera voice lessons. But I sang folk music. I played the guitar. Not very well. I still don't play very well. Um, <laughs> but I, but well enough to kind of lead, sure. to lead music. And Debbie, I spent the entire softy camp having private song leading lessons with Debbie Friedman. And, you know, and I don't know if your dad was involved. Macy was involved with cahoots with Temple Israel Sisterhood and the, or the rabbis were involved. Harry Danziger, you know, uh, kind of behind the scenes I, that part I never got but I did become a regional song leader out of that and I song led at camp and I song led at youth group and I song led in college and when I came out to California to finish college and worked for the Bureau of Jewish Education I song led for the Bureau of Jewish Education in Los Angeles they had weekend retreats I song led for Chavrat Noir and Dor Chadash um, you know, so, still, sing and play, still sing and play and lead guitar in my own congregation, especially with the kids. Um, I'm, I'm curious. You, you touched on a lot of things that I'll try to remember to go back to. Um, but from a song leading standpoint, because we've talked about that a bunch on, on this podcast, I'm just curious from your point of view, like, okay, what are the keys to being a good song leader? Like, you know, <laughs> if, if you're taking some of what you learned from Debbie and from your own experiences and had a 13-year-old that you were going to give private lessons to for, for a week of camp, 
what are some of those things that you'd be like, here's what you need to know? Uh, well, the thing that the thing was the evil song leader stare, right? The evil song leader stare down when the kids were not like they were busy talking on the side, off to the side, <laughs> right? That was like really important. I know you have a bunch of corny jokes, right? I can song lead, but I can sing a song backwards, right? And then you just literally physically turn around. Right? <laughs> And <laughs> you know, the second you, you said know, that, I immediately had that visual in my head. You so, know exactly yep. what it is. You've heard yep. everybody do that. Um, you know, and I think I think the other thing is to you have to be, have you do have to be personal. You can't be somebody that hides behind your guitar, because if you're hiding behind your or your banjo, right? You're hiding behind your ukulele or whatever it is you're doing. If you're hiding behind the instrument, then then it's not going to be successful because kids, thirteen year olds, are going to see right through that. So even if you're not the best guitar player and not the best singer, your enthusiasm really matters. So charisma is a big, big feature. Charisma, of it, matter. it charisma matters. It yeah. does matter in those kinds of positions. And the, of course, right? Wasn't the song leader like always like the one everybody like? If it was a woman, they were all hunkily. People were like the guys were like all drooling. Oh my goodness! And if it was a guy, all the girls were kind of. It's a position of power. There's no question about it. Power and popularity, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so I want to, I want to talk about something because, uh, because you brought it up and because I think it ties in very well with, uh, sort of, you know, your, your background and your experiences. And that is sort of the changes over time at camps. Um, you know, you're, uh, you're, I, if I, if I have this correctly, uh, you are the first, uh, out, uh, lesbian president of, of, of CCAR and also of the, of any congregation in North America. Is that correct? Well, I don't know about any congregation. There were others that were outed, uh, for sure, but, I, but I'm in the top five. Okay. <laughs> um, so, and, and yes, I was the first openly gay or lesbian person to be president of the Central Conference of American Rabbis or Reform Rabbis. So, and I've spent my career, you know, working very hard on LGBTQ plus, um, uh, inclusion, embracing and reform Judaism and, and in the Jewish community at large and, and working hard on civil rights and equality for LGBTQ plus people. And so I think that's really one of the, I mean, there are a lot of things that have changed. Uh, a lot of things have changed for the better, obviously, since you were a camper, since I was a camper. And there is a lot of things that I'm an old person shaking my hands at, you know, about the changes. But that's certainly not one of them, but I'm curious just from your point of view of like how you've seen the camps handle gender and sexuality issues, uh, both from your experience of it as a child and, you know, and then what you've seen, you know, as a professional. Uh, There's a really great question because I will say it was the, it was the thing that drove me away from camp. Um, as I, all through high school, I struggled uh, it was not safe to come out in the 70s in high school for me. I already kind of knew who I was by the time I was 12. And then I, said, and then I always say I spent my rest of my teenage years trying to stuff it, hide it, and not let anybody else discover it. And, um, and it was a really hard and painful time, especially the last couple years of high school. Um, and, in, and in relationship to camp, it was a really, really hard and difficult and painful time. Um, well, and, and I can, I mean, I cannot imagine that exactly, but especially as we're talking about camp as the place where you experiment and, and are yourself and all that stuff to and, not, safe. right. To not have that is, is heartbreaking, frankly. Um, but, and there was no place in the seventies, mm -hmm. even though you might talk about all kinds of things like in the seventies, you know, in the girls cabins, I don't know about the guys get but the girls can we talk about the book our bodies ourselves exploring you know when you're growing and changing body and feminism and you know we those were those were really powerful conversations to have as a young girl um but there was no safe place to talk about emerging feelings of human sexuality around being gay or lesbian it was a place of shame it was a and and don't even talk about feelings about being transgender um, so one of the things, and, and it is the thing that drove me away from camp. Uh, to be very frank with you, I didn't feel safe. So um, I spent two years on seniors as a, as a staff member, you, you know, um, uh, uh, working at camp. And, um, and then um, I didn't go back. I didn't go back for anything. Not for a reunion, for decades. 
because, you know, in the meantime, I'd come out, I went to rabbinic school, I started my life openly, you know, I had a kid, I got married to another woman, I got all of those things. Um, but I, Jacob's was a big hole in my heart because I didn't feel like I could go home again, ever. Um, and, and, and did, has that changed? Oh, totally changed. Um, I did, like at the, like at the 40th, uh, the 40th reunion for Jacob's, I went back and was like, oh, they caught up people that I had known. I mean, obviously it was out and open and cause I'd been in the, you know, very, it was very public. Sure. So I went back and just saying, okay, whatever. They'll either love, like me and remember who I, you know, remember me as somebody that they, they liked and they'll like me. If they don't, who cares? I have a whole life. Right. So, so when I did go back for reunion and reconnect with a lot of people, um, they were, people were wonderful and embracing. And so many people came up to me and said, thank you so much for the work you've done through the years in our reform movement because it helped my kid or it helped my sister, my brother, you know, my, 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 my cousin died of HIV AIDS. And, and I know that you were working on that issue in the, in the nineties and, and it brought me comfort to see you, Denise. And I remember you from when we were kids. So that was a really powerful healing, I have to say. And I think the thing that I'm, I'm proud about are URJ camps, whether it's Jacobs or Newman, or or any of our <laughs> let's name them all again. <laughs> Should I say them all again? <laughs> Newman, Coleman, Kalsman, <laughs> Green, Crane Lakes, Eisner, and and, and Kutz of blessed memory. I guess we yeah. have to say it that all way, right? right? <laughs> uh, I don't want to leave out George Rui or Gucci. Uh, I, I guess the thing that I'm proudest about are URJ camps is the work they've really done over these last number of years now to to really be inclusive, to train staff to be inclusive when kids ask questions, to be inclusive of kids who are, who are LGBTQ, um, gender nonconforming. I mean, I, a few years ago, we were we spent a, we spent a session on staff at Newman. Um, this was before the fire burned down the camp, um, um, and I was assigned to working as a as a rabbi to the Avodah unit, and there was a transgender young woman, uh, part of the Avodah unit, and so embraced by her fellow Avodahniks, so embraced by camp, so appropriate, the staff trained and appropriate, um, and allowed an amazing young woman who had grown up to camp and and done her gender transition in front of camp, basically. Oh wow! Right? Then a younger camper in a different gender. Yeah. Um, how courageous she was and her family was, how courageous the camp was to not only embrace her, but to teach everybody what the right Jewish way to do this was. And, um, you know, at Newman anyways, uh, the uh, AIDS, AIDS um, walk is every summer was around the time of camp and the Avodomics every summer would march in the AIDS walk and raise money for people with HIV AIDS. And I, and I have to say that is just, that is a testament to how to be embracing and how to go from where I, the experience I had in the seventies, which was not safe in any right. way, shape or form. And of course it was the seventies, a very different time in the world to go, you know, Stonewall only happened in 1969. I was a camper in 1972. Okay. So that's 73. So that's not that many years after Stonewall. Right. Right? Yeah. So, so with due respect, the, the changes in curriculum and, and I think, I know that at least the URJ camps have done a great job. Tawanga is another camp where there's not a URJ camp, but in the California, I mean, done incredible work around welcoming queer people and queer camp and, and, um, and there are other places, other camps around the country. There's other places that still have far to go that need to do not just tolerance work, but inclusion work and think about the policies of camp and the staff training that goes along with that. Well, you know, so that's what I was thinking about when you were, when you were talking about the training, because I, you know, when I think back on, on, on staff training when I was on staff, you know, I feel like most of the conversations were around you know, how do we make sure the kids don't die? Right. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, and then there was a lot about, you know, conflict resolution and, 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 and there was definitely things about, you know, comfort with your body and, and kids going through puberty and things like that. But there definitely was, and I'm sure we talked about sexuality on some level, uh, but I don't know that we delved too much into, you know, 
gay and lesbian issues and trans wasn't even on our radar at the time um, or non-binary or, or any of those things. Right. Uh, Gender right. What I think is so fascinating, at least in the world that I observe, uh, like you're talking about the, the transgender um, child who was at, uh, at Newman, is I, it seems like the kids are not the issue. It's the, the parents. Yes. And it's just because, I shouldn't say it's just, there are probably lots of reasons. Some of them, I feel like it's just, they just don't understand. And that's the hard part is for them to get to a place of understanding. Obviously you have outright bigots. I don't think that's changed. Bigots are bigots. We always have to deal with that. Uh, but you see the kids and the kids don't know any better. And it's funny because I, I think about that in the context of camp uh, a lot when I think about change and how people uh, hate it. <laughs> and it's like camp traditions, you think you have these traditions that are just like age old. And someone like a perfect example with Jacob's camp would be when we went from kibbutz to the Israel trip. Right. And, you know, that affected me. Like my age group was the second group that didn't get kibbutz. And I remember very specifically when they told us when we were in the, in Talmudim, the oldest unit, that they were making this change and all these people were so up in arms and how dare they and I'll, you know, whatever. And I, first of all, I get that because kibbutz, from my understanding, was an incredible experience. And I it wish was. I would have. I was in 1976. Kibbutz was amazing, life-changing experience. So that's a separate conversation that, that we can have sometime about uh, what's better, kibbutz or Israel. It's an ongoing discussion amongst my friends. Um, but, you know, so you've got the few years of people who know what kibbutz is, and I'm just using this as, as an example of a larger right. thing, and they're all upset about the change. But, like, the next year, the first kids that come into camp, and it's an Israel trip, not kibbutz, that's all they know. That's all they, they never know. knew anything different. So like when you think about these entrenched traditions or whatever, and I think you see this societally at large right now with like Confederate statues coming down and renaming, uh, you know, streets. And I went to university of Texas there. I'm not sure where we're, where we are on this at the moment, but they're talking about changing the eyes of Texas uh, as the like theme song. And like a lot of people are probably like, how, how could you do that? But it's like, First of all, it's a song. People will get used to the new thing, but like every group that comes into the thing new has no knowledge of what came before and whatever you tell them is the way things are, that's just the way things are to them. Right. Um, and, and I think what's different in, in our Jewish camping world is we have Jewish values to guide us. And our Jewish values, and certainly in our reform movement, is about this a, a notion that everyone's created in God's image. And if that's true, then all of our policies have to flow from that. And how we treat every camper, every staff member uh, in that kind of sacred way. And that includes, um, as I say, you know, we don't have any Jews to waste, which is, which is part of the notion to include at least LGBTQ Jews who were, who were uh, often outside the, the Jewish community. I mean, now we've moved into the center of the Jewish community. And, in part because we've lived our values, right? And that's what's so important that, you know, camp should still be a safe place for a kid who's questioning their sexuality, may not be able to do it at home, but camp ought to be that safe place to ask questions. And we may not have answers for her, him, or them, um, but they ought to be allowed to be able to, to articulate those questions in a safe Jewish place. And I think that's one of the things that I just... Uh, I'm so proud about the changes that have happened um, to allow those allow that those conversations to happen and to and I think this, a sensitivity that if your kid is if you have a kid in your cabin that is raising some of those questions and and I think the other piece of that is the bullying piece that ha that can happen when a kid is different you know we didn't in in the 70s we didn't really have words like autistic spectrum. Right. And often those kids who today we would recognize were kids on a spectrum uh, of, of, of some sort um, and had special those kinds of special needs, but were, you know, but were often bullied mercilessly. So we can talk about inclusion around all kinds of issues, um, 
you know, whether it's Jews of color, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, LGBTQ, <laughs> whether it's people who are differently abled, whether physically or emotionally, um, and, and, and allow, the, allow people to lift up their strengths and have camp be a place to help do that. Yeah. Um, I think that's the best of what camping is about. I totally and, agree. And, and like I said, I, from, from a distance, from a distance per se, I mean, my oldest child would have had his first summer at camp uh, this summer, uh, but for the pandemic. Um, so I will get to see that experience through, through his eyes. And look, I don't know what kind of person he is yet. And we have, it's interesting with, with everything that has been going on, uh, you know, over the past several months, um, and a lot of the things around Black Lives Matter and as a straight white man trying to like learn uh, everything that I'm, that I'm not doing that I should be doing uh, or that I need to stop doing or any of those things. One of them that has really resonated for, with me is like, I cannot shelter my children from what's going on in the world anymore, that they need to know what's going on. Uh, and so we, we have had a lot of conversations in the past couple months about what it means to be married and, and what it means to be a boy or a girl or, or neither. And uh, I, for one, I don't even, I don't have a problem at all talking about that stuff with them. If anything, I'm fascinated to see what, the, what their reaction is to it. Meaning like what questions do they have? Like how does their brain interpret it? Um, but we've really tried to, you know, step up our game in terms of this is the world we live in and you need to know what's going on instead of being like, ah, oh, this place sucks and I want to keep you from it as long as I can. Well, it's like what framework do we, we, we help our children, what lenses do we help our children see the world with? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, are, is it a static lens or is it a lens that as our, as our world changes, we want to help them be resilient and adaptable? And our world is changing. It's so different, even six from six months ago in this pandemic. So um, that's part of building resilience in children, is to help them be flexible and to help them see the world in many different ways. I, just, I want to just share with you, you know, Mike, I, I wrote this, new, edited this new book, which is a prayer book um, called Mishkan Ga'ava, Where Pride Dwells, which is about... Um, prayers for LGBTQ plus people, Jewish prayers and rituals for everything from, uh, you know, coming out, a prayer for coming out, a prayer for a parent who's struggling with a kid's uh, coming out around being transgender. Um, it could be somebody, um, uh, uh, a, a prayer for uh, a LGBTQ holidays, like coming out, National Coming Out Day, uh, how to say that, a Pride Shabbat. Um, and I, I want to to go back to this issue about safety in place, because one of the prayers in Mishkan Ga'ava, Where Pride Dwells, published by the Central Conference of American Rabbis, is a prayer for safety, and was written by a 19-year-old who grew up in a Reformed Jewish community, but still didn't feel safe enough to put their name on the prayer that they had published mm. in this book. So lest we think that the work whether at summer camp or in our synagogues, is done. It's not done yet. No, definitely not. So the conversations not. <laughs> you're having with your kid as an example of trying to begin a conversation at his level, at his age, you know, it's a different conversation when they're 11 and when they're 15 and when they're 19 and when we're 25. And these are different conversations. But this young woman wrote this beautiful prayer. God, place me in a safe environment where I do not need to fear for my safety when I'm with my significant other. I mean, wow. Right? It's only written in 2019. It's not like that was written in 1974 when I was at camp <laughs> struggling, right? So, so it's so beautiful to have her put the words to this prayer that's kind of based on the Hashkivenu prayer in the Jewish service, the prayer for safety, where we ask for a sukkah of peace to spread over us, a tabernacle of peace. You know, help me create a world where I can hold their hand and be affectionate and love my partner without hatred causing harm to my physical and emotional well-being. Keep me and my family and my partner safe when our existence and love is tried by those who do not accept us in our lives. You know, that's, that's really, really powerful words um, to still have that prayer for safety. And hopefully um, we can talk about, you know, what are the ways um, we can make sure our kids feel safe. 
around their human expressions of their human sexuality that are healthy and good and normal and how camp plays such a good role in helping create that safe environment for them um, I think is so important that's 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 beautiful one and two it makes me think that uh, you know out of uh, out of crisis comes opportunity uh, so to speak and it must be really or I, I don't I guess I shouldn't presuppose that it that it must be anything but when I think of religion I typically think of you know prayers and rituals that are thousands of years old depending on the religion uh, but it seems like what you're talking about is creating new paths like new connections for you know for people to express their you know their spirituality and and uh, the things that they care about creating literally prayers for national coming out day that's got to be really interesting work to right. be that, you know exactly building and a bridge to the next generation of the actual religion <laughs> right this is what this whole book where pride dwells is about creating and centering the voice of LGBTQ lgbtq plus people and their life and their life expression yeah. so you know um the the challenge of 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 having children when you're gay or lesbian right it you can't just you know do you have to have do, adopt do you have surrogacy you know what what's the process how do you decide who with your two women who's going to have the baby first what are you going to be a foster parent so there are prayers in here that <clears throat> really speak to that experience about adopt adopt a prayer on adopting a child which isn't just an lgbtq experience right. it's for right. all kinds of people adopt children right so it's giving permission to have our real life experiences translate in spiritual language and i want to tell you lest you think this is not a conversation about camp this book i trace this book to those creative services that we had to do when we were at camp right we didn't do services that had like the regular old thousand year old prayers. Okay, maybe it still had the Shema in it. Right. But that was probably the only thing that was recognizable in the same book you would get at Temple. We wrote, you know, poetry and we included, you know, pop folk songs and they weren't Jewish songs per se, but, but that being able to use creative liturgy, creative prayers, write creative services in the 70s. I think stayed with me all these years to be able to say, okay, I have that. There's no prayer for that. You know, before there was gay marriage, when I was a baby rabbi in 1988 and couples still wanted to get married under the chuppah, but what we called it a commitment ceremony, there wasn't anything written. I had to write something for them. I mean, I give credit yeah. for that. Totally. I mean, you're literally put in a position from an early age where you're being told to create. So when you are put in that position later in life, it's not a foreign language or a skill to you. Right. It's funny. Uh, I have such a fond memory. I, I did not love services per se growing up, um, but I, ha I do have such a fond memory for the services led by the cabins for exactly those reasons. I was at the uh, Gucci uh, 60th reunion a couple summers ago and the Friday night service. I don't know. I don't know if people wrote versions of what they thought might have been said or if they found uh old snippets from old services and then had people read them aloud but either way it was the service was a bunch of adults reading out what probably an eight-year-old at some point wrote and i mean they were just hysterical and it was right, so and, and how beautiful because it was that angle right right and that that could also be prayer how yeah. spiritual how spiritual it's like the deepest resonance of your heart that's what prayer really is right yeah. it doesn't have to be in such a box all the time yeah so i appreciate i really appreciate that and i mean i you know i i, I didn't like sitting out on next to lake gary you know either there weren't and there was no shade in those years <laughs> you know it, the benches were hard they weren't the metal benches they were wood benches back then you might get a splinter you know i mean it wasn't comfortable uh, <laughs> All right. So before we go into the questionnaire, I just have to ask because I haven't, I haven't had too many Jacobs guests uh, on the show. And since you were there, you know, fairly early on, what, what was your recollection of Macy as a camper? Because he was not long into the position when you started. 
you know, he probably he had a lot more hair. I do remember that. <laughs> um, he was God. Your dad was God when we were kids. Not not so much as we got older. Sure. You know, we challenged him and pushed him, and your dad and I got into a few rounds. You know, uh, I think when I was in high school and uh, and as staff member, but you know, he he was God when we were kids. You know that the camp director and your mom too. She they were they floated on air. We didn't think their feet touched the ground and. and <laughs> And they were wonderful to all of us. I mean, the truth, the truth of the matter is um, they shaped us. Um, they were kind to us, um, even when kids can be so annoying sometimes. Um, but they treated us all like their own children, even before you and your sister got there. And, uh, and I'm grateful to both your parents for the tremendous influence that they had on me personally. Because we saw them as, you know, they were young and hip and cool and you know, pretty dashing in those white shorts and white <laughs> Jacob shirts on Shabbat. That was like so cool, right? Yeah, it's hard to imagine them cutting that figure, but they were they young. Did. I was young at one point too. I might've, you know, I might've been Basically. hip at some point. I will not be that way to my kids uh, for much longer. So We never are to our own children. <laughs> um, well, great. Well, let's move on to our Campfires and Color Wars questionnaire segment, great. title still pending. Uh, this is just a chance to hear some more of your camp stories. Uh, so question number one, tell us about your most romantic camp experience. Well, considering we've been talking about sexuality and stuff and how I didn't really, that was like not a thing for me at camp. Um, but I do remember, uh, it was probably not really early on in that 1970 three maybe it was a winter weekend at jacobs the temple israel kids came down i don't know if there were new orleans kids i don't remember but it was a winter weekend and there's a bunch of trees planted by out near the gates at jacobs camp and we actually planted those trees um they're like pear trees or something way really way up all, almost up the gate and that same day after we planted the trees the boys snuck around the lake and we had we played spin the bottle in one of the cabins. I, I mean, I still have such a vivid memory of that, but I, I didn't do much romance stuff at camp because I was this budding lesbian and that was like a no-go kind of thing there. In, I mean, I guess I don't know the answer to this question, obviously, but like, were there other people that you have since come to find out were also gay and lesbian that you oh, were tons. around? Tons, tons, but we didn't really talk. We, nobody talked about that. Did you have any sort of inkling or, or it was, I mean, you just had to keep it so hidden and repressed. At least for me, you just didn't talk about it. Yeah. You just didn't talk about it. It was yeah. not a polite thing. You know, it's, it certainly was the South. So there's certain things in the South we just, we just don't talk about. It, yeah. Right. In those years. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure it's different now, but yeah. Um, that was uh, not something to talk about. I mean, I'm, I guess I wasn't surprised later in life when I learned about certain people that they too had come out, I was like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense now. <laughs> you know, like putting it all together. Yeah. Um, all right, number two, uh, tell us about your best, now you're a song leader, so I feel like you gotta have a good one here. Tell us about your best camp performance. I think the best camp performances were, um, this is gonna sound really funny. Lucy Dinner and Sarah Ostridge and I, Sarah David Ostridge, Rabbi David Ostridge's sister, Sarah, they were from Opelousas, um, did like the gossip column one summer. We were like the Yenta sisters. So um, I, any one of those were like the best. We wrote, you know, we wrote some ditty and we sang out the gossip that in the, in the dining room, I would say that. But you know, I did a lot of performances. I wrote a bunch of opening, opening nights um, I nice. wrote a lot of shows. Like in, in Memphis, we also had a high school sorority, Jewish sorority, that always did like parody shows as our big winter dance, script dance, whatever. And I used to write them and like a porn spiel almost. And I wrote a bunch of opening nights. Um, we did one based on the Mupp first Muppet movie. Um, That's awesome. That was, that was really, really <laughs> awesome. You know, the Rainbow Song, but it was like the Jacobs Rainbow. Sure. I did, I did two opening nights uh, and I was, I was proud of both of them. <laughs> See, they were so much fun, right? Um, yeah. I, I also remember the summers we made the record album. 
um, that too was fun because I was a singer and so I was like involved in doing a lot of that. Not just the singing at the in the dining room that was recorded, but there were some other tracks that were recorded. So that was like, oh, that was so cool. The years we did. That. Yeah, I, it's so funny. The, the the kids who were into that and the kids who weren't into that had yeah. such different memories of right. those recording sessions. Right. <laughs> right. right. The kids are in it were like, yeah, no, let's, uh, I think that one was a little tinny. Let's, let's do it again. And the other kids are like, oh, can we go play Frisbee already? We loved singing together. That was like the ones that, those of us that were singers. Sure. For me, that was really awesome. (laughs) All right. Number three, uh, tell us about your most embarrassing camp moment. So this is like, so uh, this is when I was already a staff member. So I there was a, every year Tommy Dean would go on a canoe trip and um, down the bayou, right? And, and we had, it was Lucy Dinner, uh, Rabbi Lucy Dinner and myself and Rabbi Myra Soifer, who was, had been in New Orleans uh, as the associate rabbi at Temple Sinai. So we were like the three staff member. None of us had water safety instructor certification. <laughs> sure. Let me just say that. Again. Again. Different time. Right, right different time. <laughs> Um, I mean, I didn't, I had, did have life, I wasn't, I had life certification, but not WSI, like not what the top notch was. Okay. Right. So, I mean, it, it was never very deep by you. And most of the time we were schlepping the canoes over the shoals, but they had set up a point supposedly that we were supposed to, to see a flag and get out of the water. Well, we must've missed it or it blew away. And we went down and kept going and going and going. And we were on the sandbar. We're waiting and waiting. Nobody comes. It's hours. The kids are getting restless. They're hungry. They're muddy. They're tired. So we're in bathing suits and like boots and like, so finally we, we don't, they like, we, we were lost. <laughs> and so we had to, um, I had to schlep up the hill and go start walking down the road. And we came to this general store. I don't even remember two old ladies and they wouldn't even let us in to use the phone. Then we went to finally found another house and they let us and they knew about the camp. Oh yeah. That's the Jew camp. Oh, there you go. We call we find, And they were like screaming at us. Where were you? Where were we? Like? So they, so finally we, you know, so that was the summer that Lucy and Denise and Myra Lost Tommy D. <laughs> and, you know, I bet you at the time, it probably was fine. Like, I'm sure there was a minor freak out, but like that happening then versus what would happen if that happened Oh, what would happen today? now? Oh, I would have lost. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, the kids were basically safe. They were dirty, sure. tired, and hungry. But but it was it was scary. We didn't have cell phones. And, oh, I'm you know, sure. here's these walking around all muddy in a bathing suit and, you know, no cover up on the street, <laughs> back roads. And... It was a different time. A really different time. <laughs> but it was pretty embarrassing, nevertheless. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. Just the things that you could get away with back then uh, and the things that you really, I mean, I don't even know what you can get away with now. And yet, I'm sure. 10, 15 years from now, we'll be, people will be looking back and talking about what they could get away with yeah. now. <laughs> so it never changes. I mean, but uh, you know, I just think about like the year I was, C- we were CITs, like how, many, how, much, how much time we spent washing dishes, but the more water ended up on each other than in the, doing the dishwasher and like, you know, raiding the kitchen on kibbutz. When we were on kibbutz in 1976, we would come back down into camp and like just go and raid the kitchen and steal whatever for our kitchen. And I mean, like, you just, you wouldn't do that. You, you couldn't do that in the same way because the food controls and all of those. Kinds right. Of yeah. Right. Not even because of the, the thievery, just literally the rules and restrictions around food safety. Right. I mean, I remember the year they introduced the salad bar at camp. That was like radical because like if there were rabbinical students and they kept kosher, they, you know, they had to try and eat salads because camp for sure then wasn't, you know, there wasn't. And then the year there was a salad bar option. Oh my gosh, it was transformative. I mean, you know, and I, I think the other thing that was that, you know, you don't do today. I mean, it was, you know, we used to end camp when they send the kids home was crab and beer, you know, like you wouldn't do that in Jewish camp at this time. Right. Yeah. But that's just that's the true. southern thing, right? We did yeah. it was crab and fried chicken and beer. The last night when the kids had gone home, we cleaned up the camp and everybody was leaving the next day. Yeah, that didn't happen so much anymore. Yeah. But yeah, see, some things I missed. And, yeah. 
Anyway. All right. Uh, number four, top or bottom bunk? Oh, I was a bottom bunk person. Definitely bottom bunk person. Um, because I, I really didn't like climbing. I was always zoftic, you know, I was always a little overweight. And so trying to schlep up on that top bunk was not something that was easy or good for me. So, um, I was definitely a bottom bunk girl. I actually, I preferred when, you know, there wasn't a top bunk on top and you could score a single. That was the best. Right? Sure. Double mattress. Double mattress. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Number five, you know, I, I try to do a different question uh, each time for, for the fifth okay. one. And, and I was thinking about how, you know, there's just so much that we miss about camp right now, this summer in particular. So I thought this would be kind of a, a good nod to that. But what is the smell that really reminds you of camp? And, uh, and, and where do you typically find it? Yeah. You know, well, we'll find it. I don't think I, that's possible. But there is a smell of the rain on the dirt road. You know, the summer rain bursts, whether they were in the daytime or in the evening that would come in Mississippi in the summer. And there's the way that rain hit that dirt road coming into camp because it was dirt then. I mean, I think it's much more paved now. Yeah. Um, but back then it was dirt. And there's a smell, there was a smell of the dust and the rain and the mud that happened. And I, there's nowhere else that smells like that because California, we don't have rainstorms quite like that with the big lightning in the summer that would light up the whole sky. It was really, it's really unique. So you haven't necessarily come across that. So it reminds you of camp, but you haven't necessarily come across it right. since then. I haven't come across it really. In Got it. Too many years. There, I was, I was out for a run the other day and I can't, I don't even think I can describe what it, what the sensation was or what it specifically reminded me of. But I just, at this one moment, like got this whiff of something that just transported me back right. to camp. And I was just like, like I almost like literally stopped running for a second. I was like, whoa, right. like I'm feeling this. Uh, and then I it was gone. I, I think sometimes too, the dripping wax of the Havdala candle, like there's a smell, that oily petroleum smell. Because I spent a bunch of time in the art room helping out teaching people how to braid Havdala candles. So I think the melted wax also sometimes triggers that for me. Um, I helped, you know, Vicki Fox, for, I was like her assistant for a couple summers in the art room and tried to help, tried to help, you know, I, I always ended up doing copper enamel, teaching copper enamel, teaching how to braid the candles, the Havdala candles that the kids would make. So I think sometimes at Havdala that, maybe because it's also Havdala, where I learned about Havdala was, where did I learn about it? At camp. My parents didn't do that. Right. You know, even as Jewish as they were, they had, Havdala, they didn't know what that was. Yeah, I I associate the the arts and crafts room with the smell of like clay. I just, yeah, I, I, I absolutely. Smell clay Those and big that's gray blocks, I, yeah, right? That's what that's what takes me back to the to the arts and crafts room. Um, all right, well, let's move on to bitches and roses, aka roses and thorns, aka coals and diamonds, aka strawberries and lemons, aka peaks and valleys, aka pals and wells. It's a chance to share one good thing. And one bad thing, if that is possible uh, in this day and age. Um, but Denise, I will, uh, will happily allow you to go first. What's, what's going on in your world? Um, one good thing is um, one, good, one good thing is, is that I've had the chance, I guess, over the last few months to uh, zoom in, if you will, to services all over the country uh, to speak about my book, Where Pride Dwells. Um, and um, and you, know, you know, as a rabbi, you don't get to have, I don't, I've never gotten as many Friday night dinners home with my spouse as I have during this time of COVID. And so my wife's also a rabbi, Rabbi Ellie Steinman. And so the fact that we're at home and even though we might be leading different services and at different times, because she's actually a rabbi in Austin, but she's here living in Los Angeles because we're at home. Um, <laughs> so, so she, so, but her services will be two hours earlier than my service, but we can still have Shabbat dinner together. So both being able to visit in other congregations without getting on a plane and then having Shabbat dinner together has been the best. So that's so interesting. That literally came up today in conversation. Uh, I was talking to uh, Rabbi Micah Streifer, uh, who oh. I'm guessing is- <laughs> Oh, uh, I know well, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we were just sort of talking. I am endlessly fascinated by so many things going on in the world right now. But one of the things that I'm endlessly fascinated by is the, the positive things that have come 
from the current situation we find ourselves in. And I would trade all of them to not have a global pandemic that is yes. needlessly killing hundreds of thousands of people. Yes. But I have to acknowledge that there are things that have been positives. Uh, and so he was talking about that, about how as a rabbi, like he does not get to see his family nearly as much as he has these past few months and how wonderful that has been. And I just, I was like, oh my God, what a strange environment for the rabbinate or for any clergy who are so, so much of their time is giving to other people and being present for other people. And now you take that away and all of a sudden they have all this time themselves and how wonderful that must be. Well, it's so amazing. And you know, and I appreciate what Mike says about it because you know, I think we had the same box of 72 Shabbat candles. We must have had it for six years because we're almost never home to light Shabbat candles, right? We're both at work. And th we've gone through, I don't know, we've gone through a bunch of boxes of it, right? Because we're both lighting candles at the services we lead, So we have two sets of candles going in our house now. But it's so wonderful. I mean, we're actually like celebrating Shabbat at home like it was meant to be. And so it's, that's, that's great. I mean. Fabulous. You know, again, find find the positives where you can. That's that's Absolutely. definitely a positive. Um, do you have a negative that you want to go over? Oh or? yeah, totally negative is you know my son lives in Dallas, and um, that is negative. I agree. <laughs> no, that's not negative. I love Dallas, <laughs> but I but but you know I haven't I can't go. I haven't yeah. been. Able, I saw you know I have, we have it's very hard and that so it's not the same. So he's a working stiff in Dallas and. Um, they just bought a house. I'm trying to figure out how do I get there to see the new house. And so that's, that's really a bummer. I, I don't. Sure. Like that yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, and I worry like how long, how long will I, can I go? And I know some people are flying around. I don't feel comfortable yet doing that. Um, especially, you know, high holidays coming up and I, you know, I need to really be <laughs> really, you know, you need to stay really careful. Uh, sure. So you can do get, be prepared for the holidays. Right. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, obviously the time away from family is, is very, very challenging right now. Yeah, uh, part's really some, t some family you're getting to see some family you're not. So it's, it's give <laughs> and take. Um, my, uh, my positive, uh, thing is, uh, actually Jacob's camp related. Um, we uh, did. We were part of this thing that you can't, all the camps are trying to engage their communities this summer and do things that right. kind of remind people of camp. And so uh, they asked a few groups to do Letter Day skits um, okay. who had done Letter Day in previous summer. So I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but very short and sweet. Letter Day was a a, uh, a group uh, of counselors would get together and do these skits three times a week to encourage the kids to write home and they would always pick a theme. It'd always be like a parody, kind of like what we're talking about with opening night uh, right. of like a TV show or a movie or, you know, the nerds, like just different, you know, some sort of hook. And so uh, I did one called the four Sandlers, uh, which was four different Adam Sandler characters from his, <laughs> from his movies. Um, and they're all his early movies. Uh, and so we did a reprise of it uh, as a skit that we did over Zoom uh, that we just uh, launched today on the uh, on the Jacobs Camp page. Uh, and honestly, I mean, it was so fun to do. And it just took me back to sitting up at one, two o'clock in the morning at camp, writing the skits, uh, you know, night before. I mean, I, I was not on Saturday Night Live, but I like to always think that that was sort of my Saturday Night Live-esque experience. Well, and um, you didn't have to, and then you didn't have to decorate any butcher paper to have like a set puff line. Either, that's right. right? <laughs> that's right. Um, so uh, that, that definitely took me to a happy place. Uh, one, just reconnecting with my friends uh, to do it. Matt Price, Jordan Bronig, Michael Danziger. Um, so, uh, so that launched today. So yeah, if you want to see some ab absolute uh, absurdity and silliness uh go to the jacobs camp uh, facebook page and you can see it uh, actually i posted definitely. on the campfires and color wars page so you can just see it on the awesome campfires i'm page. looking to vote <laughs> um and then uh and i guess my negative is uh school starts for us uh, as we were recording this um starts for us this coming monday and it's virtual which i one million percent support the decision to do that um i'm actually feeling some pangs of sadness uh, that school is back, even though it will certainly make my working life 
somewhat easier. Um, but the way our summer has gone, I got laid off for my job in May. And so my wife's still working and I've really been on child, childcare duties. And so every day I've been taking my kids for a bike ride and going to the pool and doing stuff like that. And, you know, I just, I don't know that I'll get the opportunity to do it this much, uh, in the future. And if so, I hope it's for a very different reason <laughs> than the one that I had this summer. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I have mixed emotions about it, but I'm sad, uh, that our daily bike rides and, and runs are they, going, and are they excited about school? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that they have a real formed opinion. I think they're, they're excited about it on some level, but you know, it's going to be on the computer. So they're right. probably excited to get more screen time. Uh, yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> I mean, I give a shout out to every parent of every kid that's having to navigate no matter how young or how old this pandemic school situation. Yeah, and for sure. I really, I give props to all of you enduring a summer the plans upended you know you thought your kid you said your kid was going to his first summer you know kids who are disappointed they didn't get to be with their friends they didn't get to go to camp and had to figure out some way to ed entertain and educate and occupy the kids time and so hard so hard and kudos to the parents really yeah and and i just hope anybody listening that please just remember we're still in a pandemic don't forget yeah. that as we get back into school and schoolwork starts and you, you start having the anxiety and worry about grades and all that stuff, just please remember it's still a pandemic. This is still not normal. You know, let's prioritize, you know, sanity and health and safety. And, and, and uh, you know, in different parts of the country, it's really different. And don't assume if you're in a part of the country where things are kind of not so bad, other parts of the country are really bad. Yeah. Southern California is really still really bad. Yeah. We've never left the first wave. And so, um, yeah. you know, other parts of the country kind of maybe are, have slowed down. Their hospitals have calmed down. There's a lot of, the thing I notice is there's so much still free-floating anxiety about the uncertainty and future. You know, you mentioned you were laid off. Families have economic challenges. Yeah. Um, spiritual, it impacts spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Uh, the fears that you have about health and getting sick and, and being cut off from family, distant, and, you know, be kind to yourselves. Exactly. I think that's the most important. We've got to be kinder to ourselves. I could not agree more. Um, well, look, we made it almost an hour without really diving into the terribleness of the world around us. So with that, uh, <laughs> that is our show. Uh, you can always subscribe to us uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, any other podcast listening tool you can find. Uh, and if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Summer Camp Pod and on Instagram at Campfires and Color Wars. Uh, of course, you can catch us every Wednesday and Saturday night on our Facebook page for brand new episodes of Jewish Geography Zoom Racing. We are still uh, having such a good time doing that. And uh, we have actually started doing a, a bunch of uh, games um, for camps and, and for other organizations too, but specifically for camps that has really been, I can't even tell you how much fun it has been to drop in on these different camp communities uh, just for an hour and a half or so to see, you know, how they relate to each other, what their, uh, you know, specific jokes and, and quirks are. Uh, it's been, it's been so fun for me. Um, so definitely check us out Wednesdays and Saturday nights. We stream it live at nine o'clock Eastern. Uh, if uh, you want to tell us your memories of camp or recommend people to be guests on our show, you can always reach out to us through our email address at summercamppod at gmail.com. Denise, if people want to find you and find your they book. You can find me on Twitter at, at Denise Egger, D-E-N-I-S-E-E-G-E-R. I'm pretty active Twitter. I'm on Facebook at my Rabbi Denise L. Egger page. Uh, my personal page is maxed out, but uh, I cross post. And I'm on Insta as well. Um, and the book, Where Pride Dwells, Mishkan Gavan Hebrew, but just hashtag Where Pride Dwells, available on Amazon and CCAR Press org in Kindle and in softback and um, thank you Micah so much for letting me come talk to you about 
the ways we can help support our LGBTQ plus uh, campers and staff members and family members and, and, and live our Jewish values. Uh, so much fun to reminisce about Jacobs and, and, uh, and the importance of camp in Jewish life. Really critical. Yeah, and I'll put a link uh, to, the, to the book uh, in, the, uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, if you want to hear more from me, I'm on Twitter at Micah Hart. Um, and with that, we will see you next time on Campfires and Color Wars. And I'm going to assume you know this one, so I'm not even going to give you the, uh, the intro. It's the way we like to end the show every, uh, every episode. So I will say, Denise, don't waste a minute. And you can say back to me. Don't waste a minute, Micah. Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. You can have everything if you let yourself be. Happiness runs, happiness runs. Happiness runs, happiness runs. Happiness runs, happiness runs. Happiness runs, happiness runs.